Today's message about dividend investing is the kind of message you're going to say to yourself, I wish I learned that a decade ago. That's how powerful this is. But if you're just finding out about the power of dividends through today's episode, this should be able to serve you for the next multiple decades, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. The rest of your investment career, if you only learn this one thing we're about to talk about, maybe the only thing you really need to know. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of the Retire Sooner podcast. I am your host, Wes Moss, and today, the power of rising stock dividends. We have, there are so many ways to invest. We know that it's almost an endless count. One of my favorite or go-to methods, particularly for those who are trying to retire sooner, are is to understand your investments and what they can produce an income for you when you stop working. So, of course, we are investing to this pile of money and we want the pile to get bigger. But then at some point we stop adding because we stopped work. And now it has to become that new paycheck for us or our total paycheck. From my perspective, the best way to do that is understand the cash flow you can get whether that's from dividends that come from stocks or distributions that come from multiple or a variety of different investments like real estate or interest that comes from bonds or CDs, if anybody buys CDs anymore. That's another category to get income. All of that put together is a really powerful source. And it is very much a currency that we can live on when we're in retirement. So today I want to talk about a, a source or almost this immutable force within markets and investing that doesn't get a lot of headlines. What gets headlines? Well, Bitcoin going up or down 10% in a day or 25% in a given week. The hottest stock of the day that might be up 700% in a given year. That's how we think of investing, particularly when we're younger. How much is the market going to go up, up, up? What's going to double or triple or quadruple? Those are the sprints when it comes to investing. The reality is that most investors that really make a lot of money over time, and those are the ones that are able to retire sooner and then make their money last for decades and decades, Think of investing much more of a marathon, almost if you ever watch the Iditarod, which is this multi-day dog sled race in Alaska. It's not, just a, it's not just a marathon. It's not just an Ironman triathlon. It's like the Iditarod. It's a really long lifetime journey. And from my perspective, one of the sources that gets overlooked, and I want to talk about that and focus in on this today, are stock dividends. And the power of why they're so powerful is that we are all also investing for what? If you had to boil it down to one thing, it is what? Protecting our purchasing power so that as inflation rears its ugly head over time, the cash flow that we get from that pile of money that we saved up for so many years continues to grow at a rate that is the same of inflation or faster than inflation. That's really a way to protect our purchasing power and historically, we think of this in two really main categories. What can I get from stock dividends that get paid out typically every quarter? And then what can I get from bond interest? 
And I wanted to compare those two today on the show. So think of today's episode as a way of thinking about your money today. How can it grow to a certain point and then pay you forever? This is a study that goes from 1980 all the way through the end of 2020. And if there's ever a chart to remember, it is the one that you can't see right now because you're listening, but you can find this. The article, by the way, on, the, on my website, westmoss.com, is The Power of Investing in Dividends. That's the title of this article. You'll see, you'll find a red and blue chart. Very simply, the red are stock dividends, the blue bond interest. And you'll see that in the beginning of the study, the blue line, which represented bond interest, because interest rates were a lot higher back in 1980, looked pretty darn good. And stock dividends didn't look so good. They were kind of meager when in comparison. And it's interesting because it, at the time, as an investor, you might have said, wow, I, that looks better to me. The bonds are paying me over 8% a year. Stocks are only paying me 4 or 5 I'm going to choose the bond income. But the story changes dramatically over the next couple of decades. So if there's ever a chart to remember, it's the one under the power, you'll find it right as you go to this article, the power of, of investing in dividends, a red and blue bar chart that compares dividends from the S&P 500 and then interest. If we looked at the overall, what is today, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index. So let's compare the two. Now, this is, this is not a chart that chronicles one magical stock purchase that just climbed to the moon, double, triple, quadruple, up a thousand percent. Instead, this is really just this story of this unassuming force in investing that, again, I'm, I call it, the, think of it as the Iditarod, just keeps on going, that can really create what we need in retirement, which is a rising source of income for a lifetime. It's the story of stock dividends, which have proven to really grow at twice the rate of inflation, twice the rate of inflation over the better part of stock market history. So the study I'm going to go through right now compares how investment in, in equities for, for dividend income fared relative to investing in bonds for income, starting back in 1980, going all the way through the year 2020. So whether you're listening to this, by the way, in 2021 or 2022, it really shouldn't matter. This is a story that is well over 40 years of market history. You could actually go back another 40 years and another 40 years, and the same pattern continues to repeat itself. So this isn't what some special period of time. This is really the story of stocks and bonds relative to each other over most of market history. Now, the reason I'm comparing these two categories is that often we think of bonds as, hey, that's the conservative and, quote, safe investment. And I'm going to do that for income because it pays me a steady interest rate. Hey, wait a minute. Stocks are really volatile. They go up and down. And that's absolutely correct. But what doesn't move nearly as much as the price of a stock is typically the dividend that it pays. Dividends typically are very methodical, very steady, and don't change a whole lot over time. Now they can go, and, and you'll see in the study, you can over time, they tend to go higher. A company can shut off their dividend. That absolutely happens all the time, or once in a while if a company gets into a lot of trouble. But the prevailing trend for most companies is if once they establish a dividend, they want to keep the dividend, and really they want to slowly rise that dividend over time. So let's compare, and again, this is you're listening to this, so you don't even need to see the chart, so I'll walk through this. But again, you can find the chart on the, the article, The Power of Investing in Dividends. We're going to compare $10,000 invested in the S&P 500 versus the aggregate bond index. 
And we're going to start that study in the year 1980. In each case, the investor left the principal alone. So we start with $10,000 in each case and took just the income that was produced each year to spend. That's the income from stock dividends that, that comes from the 10,000. And then the income for, or really interest from bonds from that $10,000. First, we'll talk about the, the stock dividend part of this chart. So if you were looking, you'd see this is, these are the red bars in the chart. In the very first year, the $10,000 investment in the S&P 500 paid a dividend of about 529 bucks. That would be 5.3% on the initial investment. 40 years later, the dividend income, this is the income alone, shown in that same red line on the chart, climbed to about almost $5,400. So think of it as about 530 bucks to $5,400. That's a near 54% annual yield, a 54% annual yield on your original investment. Think, 5,400 bucks divided by 10,000. So what's this show? Well, it shows that the income from stock dividends grew at about 6% per year. The income itself crept just slowly, no headlines for this, went from 529 bucks to $5,371. So it shows that income from stock dividends grew at about 6% per year. By the way, inflation during that same period of time grew at about 3% per year. So dividends increased at double, double the rate of inflation. Talk about protecting your purchasing power. That's what this is all supposed to do. But of course, and don't forget that the, the corpus, the investment corpus, that $10,000, and you're taking the income every year in, this, in the way we're looking at this, that $10,000 also grew. So in addition to all the income that you received every year, you took it, okay, it's not, we're not talking about reinvesting these dividends. We will in a little bit, but we're taking and let's assume we're spending that money that $10,000 also grew, though, to almost $350,000. So $10,000 grew all the way to $350,000. That change, the $10,000 to $347,000 to be exact, $347,000, that's the price-only return, which excludes the dividend income. That, by the way, clocks in at about 9% per year, 9% on average per year. If you had another 3% or so from dividends each year, which is about what the average has been over time, you get a total return of about 12% a year, which again, not really shocking from the stock market. And also a good reminder that our total return equation is pretty simple. It's income that we receive from dividends plus the growth we get in price. Now, if you had reinvested all the dividends, so every time we get a dividend, you bought more shares of the S&P 500, never spent anything. And again, that's less realistic in retirement because you're, you're, you're spending the dividends. When you're younger, you, it does make sense to re reinvest dividends to grow the overall portfolio. But if you'd reinvested all those dividends in your portfolio, that $10,000 original investment, this is just the S&P 500, let alone dividend paying companies, just the S&P 500 would have grown to a little more than a million dollars, a million bucks after 40 years. What about the bond interest? You're looking at the chart, it's the blue part now. Again, bonds are typically thought of as safer or a safer alternative to stocks. And when you look at a study like this, you think, well, maybe they're, maybe they're too safe. They were great in the 1980s when you were getting something like 11% rate, rate of return or 11% interest rate on bonds. 
But over time, the what was the Lehman Brothers Aggregate Bond Index, then the now the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index. Think of this as an index. Uh, we think of stock indexes like the SP 500. Think of this as the total bond market index. Lots and lots of different companies and government bonds all put together in, in an index. That's the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index. Well, it grew from $10,000, that was the original investment, to only about $17,000. 10 grand to 17,000. I mean, not terrible, actually 16,875 to be exact, but 10,000 to only about 17,000. And here's the, the key when we're talking about income here. It only paid you $370 in the year 2020, which is only a 2.2% yield on your investment. So what's the verdict? If you're looking for some sort of investment to pay you income over time, and this can apply to you at any age. So if you stop working at age 40, you can say, I'm going to put all my money into cryptocurrency and hope it goes up a lot. And every time I need to pay for something, I'll take a little, little piece of it. Or I might find a stock that goes through the roof. And every time I need to spend money, I've got to take a little piece of it. Here, we're talking about actual cash flow from investments. Comparing stock income versus bond income. And here's the verdict. Stock income wins obviously, wins against bond income by an incredibly large margin. From this study, again, started in 1980, went through 2020, annual stock dividend income increased over tenfold. Again, think 500 bucks to over 5,000 bucks per year. While the remaining price only portion grew 35 fold. So income up 10x, overall price returned 35 times the original value. Bonds, on the other hand, rose less than two times in price. Remember, 10,000 to about 17. And income didn't go up at all. Contrary to stock income, bond income actually went down 67% over that period of time. And by the way, we just went through the longest bond bull market we've seen in history. So from my perspective, it doesn't matter if you have $50,000 or 500000 or $5 million, or $50 million in your overall retirement portfolio. It's, it's very hard to find a more consistent source of growing income to outpace inflation, along with the potential for a dramatic increase in your underlying principal. 35x the value of the investment, 10x the annual income. Again, just to make sure we're doing the math here, if we actually had reinvested all of that dividend income the $10,000 total, and then again, remember not spending anything, 10,000 over that 40 year period really would have grown to just over a million dollars. Hard to even wrap your arms around, but that's a 100X, not a 10X, not a 50, 100X of your original investment. Now here's one thing that maybe is in the back of your mind. Anytime you ever hear one of these historical studies, you say, sure, Wes, would have been great if I had done that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, but what about now? Haven't I just missed the boat? And my answer here is very, very emphatically, no. I don't think you have. If you're 30 or 40 years old or 50 years old, don't, don't you have three or four or five decades ahead of you left to invest? So contrary to your brain saying, hey, it's, isn't this too late for me? Isn't this too late? Remember that you have more years ahead of you for spending 
than you might think. So think decades, multiple decades, and, and not even in years. Think in decades. So we talked about two things here. Clearly, utilizing equities is and has been a very, very fruitful way to grow your overall asset base. And by that same thought process, also a very, very effective way to generate income that outpaces inflation over time. Now, imagine if you're at the stage where you are getting towards retirement and you're ready to really focus in on income investing and really say, hey, I want to make sure my dividends are a certain amount. Imagine using the same overall philosophy and really specifically looking for stocks that are perennial dividend payers or perennial dividend growers that have this great consistency. From my investment career, call it 20 plus years, I've always been in this pursuit of dividends. And I think it's a, it's a worthy life's work of any investor with the long-term patience and the vision to do so. And I think that might be you. Anyone subscribing to this podcast is really thinking about not just piling up a bunch of money, but what is the pile of money going to do for, for you and your family whether you're living on a beach in Tahiti or South America or Europe or Asia or anywhere in the world or here in the United States, how is that pile of money going to continue to give you this steady paycheck that outpaces inflation over long periods of time? So the verdict is pretty clear. And I think the next question is, well, if the equity side or the stock side of the equation does so well relative to the more conservative side or bonds, then why would you ever own any bonds? particularly in an environment that we live in today. And depending on when you're listening to this podcast, interest rates are that we, we look at the 10-year treasury is kind of a benchmark rate. Over time, that's been two and a half to three and a half percent interest per year for a lot of history. And we've gone through a period of time where the Federal Reserve, because of the pandemic in 20. 20, took interest rates to zero to try to make money more freely available and less expensive to borrow and stimulate the economy and kept interest rates literally at zero for a very long period of time. That also brought the rate of the, on the 10-year treasury way below 1%. In fact, at one point, it got below a half a percent. Again, getting half a percent per year for 10 years. That's the 10-year treasury. Now, that has since risen. And as the economy gets stronger and better, you'll see interest rates go at least somewhat higher. But the reality here is we're still looking at a much lower expected interest rate or rate of return on bonds than we do on stocks. So when I answer this next logical next question, which is why, why do we own anything but stocks? Why would we own bonds at all in an overall portfolio? Even though stocks win over time and they're clearly even the income part of stocks. Now remember, not all stocks pay an income. We're looking at an income or dividend from the overall S&P 500. Of course, there are dividend-paying stocks and non-dividend-paying stocks, but the index itself is made up of uh, hundreds of companies. Many of them pay dividends, many of them do not. So when we talk about the dividend from the S&P 500, it's really the all 500 companies in aggregate. What do they pay? And clearly, they're the winner over bonds. But I think that, and, and I've, as an investor, it's very easy to think, well, we should just be all stocks all the time. And that might be easier to do when you're younger, in your 20s and 30s and 40s, and you know that, hey, you're not even going to begin to use this money for decades. But when you get further into that retire sooner path and you're ready to stop working, and you're, let's say, in your 50s now or your 60s, then you get to the period of time where the money that you have saved, that's it. 
And when the markets go through these huge corrections and gyrations down 20 and 30 and sometimes 40 or more percent, like we've seen a couple times in the last 20 plus years, it becomes very difficult to be a 100% stock investor. A, as you're closer in retirement, the stakes are higher, so you get even more nervous. B, typically you've got the most amount of money when you get ready to retire because you've saved all these years. So it's one thing to see a 10% decline on a $10,000 investment. It's another thing to see a 10% decline or 20 or 30 or 40% decline on a million dollars or $2 million. And I've seen even relatively aggressive or stoic investors just get really, really nervous and get thrown totally off track if their stock percentage is too high relative to their overall risk tolerance, how much tolerance they have for the, see their overall portfolio value go up and down, and relative to what they're needing to pull out of the portfolio or spend every year. If you're an investor that, right, if you're following the 4% plus rule, you may be in a phase, remember the 4% plus rule is to take around 4% to anywhere from 4 to 5%. Closer to 4 is, quote, safer to make sure money doesn't run out over time. It's a rule to help you figure out how to really maximize what you can pull out over time and still not spend and run out of money. But if you're in one of these periods of time where you are having to pull out more than you'd like to in any given year, let's say it might be the early years of retirement before some other income sources kick in and you're having to spend 6% of the portfolio and it's 100% in equities and we go through a terrible period of time in the markets where that 100% in equities takes a huge hit. Maybe it's down 35 or 40 or 45% if we go through a really bad recession and a, and a, and a subsequent really terrible market. Now we're at a, a phase where we're digging into the portfolio maybe more than we would have liked because we were planning on using getting back to the 4% rule in a year or two. And the timing's just bad and the market's awful. And you're not in a position to be able to scale back on how much money you need to pull out of the portfolio to live. That is a recipe that get, makes people very, very nervous. And you can get into a situation where you're digging a hole because of the market. And then you're digging even a bigger hole because your spending need is high relative to the portfolio. Bonds can protect you from that really drastic or dramatic fall from the overall portfolio level. There's a reason why the 4% plus rule goes back and looks at different kinds of allocations, and it shows that that optimum allocation is between 50% and 70% in equities. Well, it starts to make sense as I describe a, a worst case scenario. If you're 100% in stocks, you may end up in a situation where the timing is really rough, where as soon as you retire, then the market takes a dive. And that's where you would still have this help from diversification. And that's where bonds and bond interest, which is, should be somewhat counter or non, either inversely correlated or not correlated to the market at all, should be there at least in some capacity to help the overall portfolio have some real ballast. So a portfolio that has 50 or 60% in stocks or 70% in stocks, it might make sense to have a large portion, 20 or 30% in fixed income for a couple of reasons. One, to make sure that the overall corpus does not fall at the full mercy of the market. Two, you can utilize that steady part of the portfolio to supplement your cash and not pull out of the stock side of the market over a period of time to allow the market itself to recover. And over time, even though 
as we speak today, interest rates are really low. There have been lots of years over history where interest rates are relatively attractive and you do get three or four or five percent. That's that's harder to find today, not impossible, but there are certainly some merits to that. So I still think a balanced portfolio makes sense. If you have a high risk tolerance and a relatively low income need relative to your overall portfolio, meaning 4% or less, then you may be able to have most or if not all of your assets in dividend paying equities. That can, that can happen. But for a lot of families, you're right on the line with needing a full four, maybe even more uh, percentage from the overall portfolio. And that's why I think that utilizing bonds that are very much a safe or conservative asset relative to stocks can still make a whole lot of sense for many investors. So we've really talked about a lot of different concepts today. And the overarching theme here is the power of rising stock dividends. I'm a big believer in income investing. I want some sort of cash flow from everything I own in a portfolio, even if it's beyond just stocks. I also think of other areas like real estate or real estate investment trusts to pay out dividends or distributions as well. Of course, bonds historically have paid decent levels of interest. We're in a pretty low, very low interest rate environment. So bonds have certainly been less popular for investors. However, I think it's important to look at over history, what has grown your income the most significantly over time. And that is ironically from the least steady asset of all, which are, that's the stock market, the dividend part of that, the aggregate S&P, if you just look at the S&P 500, that dividend that gets paid out every year, that's grown steadily and really kind of methodically over time. But it's also risen at twice the rate of inflation. So even from an income standpoint, stock dividends have bested bond interest. At the same time, I also believe that not every investor has the wherewithal or the risk tolerance or the stomach to have 100% in equities. So the way I look at this is that owning some in fixed income or bonds, those I use those words interchangeably, can help you at least have some piece of the pie chart that we know is going to be relatively steady, provided we're using higher quality bonds, in the midst of a stock market sell-off. So the very nature of having those bonds almost as your dry powder that A, gives the portfolio an overall semblance of balance and stability, and B, you can actually use that portion of bonds or more conservative investments for your income during, let's say, a period of time that allows the stock side of your portfolio to recover after we go through a rough period of time. Even though we started today comparing stock income through dividends versus bond interest. And we know that historically, stock income through dividends is one hands down. There's still some merit for investors to have a, a balance of at least some semblance in both. Of course, if you're younger, in your 20s, 30s, and maybe even 40s, and you still have a long way to go before you start utilizing the money, I think it's very easy to make the case that you should be or could be 100% in stocks, particularly if you have the stomach for it. But then know that as you get closer to needing to utilize that money, it's time to start thinking, will the dividends from the stocks that I own or the ETFs or the indexes that I own, will that pay me enough just in dividends so that I'm not having to worry about touching the principal? Talk about a wonderful way to never have your money run out. Imagine if you get to the point where the corpus itself pays out a certain amount of income, no matter what, just through dividends. 
again, that are very, very steady over time, particularly if you're getting that from hundreds of different stocks. Think of this through either an index or an ETF or some sort of fund. Imagine if that kicks out enough income that you don't ever have to sell anything ever. So you're essentially getting a steady quarterly paycheck from your investments that pays all the bills. If that's the case, you may not need to have any sort of participation with fixed income or bonds. But again, everyone's situation is different. Everyone's going to fall into a slightly different financial fingerprint. And you've got to find the mix that's right for you. I've worked with many families that have more money than they'll ever be able to spend. Let's call it in the 50 to 100 million plus range. Never, ever a way to spend all that money. Yet they still feel most comfortable having 75% of all their investments in fixed income or bonds. Now, in some cases, municipal bonds can give you a real tax advantage, but you're still, if you look at what we just talked about today, why would you ever do that? Well, some people don't like to see their overall investment corpus go up and down by 10 or 15 or 20% or, or more in any given year. And if you're a stock-heavy investor, you've got to be prepared for that. So there's no perfect mix or ultimate one-stop shop allocation that applies to everyone. What does, I think, apply to all of our listeners here on the Retire Sooner podcast is just understanding historically, and history tends to repeat itself over and over again, companies in the United States represented by the U.S. stock market, if they pay dividends, are very intent on keeping those dividends steady and slowly rising those dividends over time. And understanding that, even though we also understand that stock prices can fluctuate wildly, I think is very powerful. Thinking of the overall stock market as, well, total return, we all want our money to grow, but we also understand that there's two pieces of that equation. And those two pieces, and this can be looked at beyond just stocks, any sort of total return is growth plus income. So just looking at stocks, income comes from dividends. Growth comes through appreciation. But also at an overall portfolio level, total return equals growth plus income. Income can be dividends and interest and distributions from a variety of sources, while the underlying assets we expect over time should at least stay steady or, of course, grow. Put it all together, and I think really just understanding what we're getting ourselves into with different asset classes, particularly stocks versus bonds from a growth perspective and an income perspective, I think it's one of the most powerful and important lessons we can all remember in investing. So as we wrap up today, what's the, the key takeaway here? Very simply, as I recap this, is that if there's ever a chart to remember for any investor, it's the, the chart that I, that I have on my website. The article is titled The Power of Investing in Dividends. And it's just a pretty simple bar chart, red and blue lines. The red bars on the chart represent stock dividends and how they grow over time from 1980 until through the year 2020. And the blue line shows bond interest from, again, 1980 all the way through the year 2020. We compared starting with $10,000 in stocks versus $10,000 in bonds that very first year. Stocks only paid a little over 500 bucks. Bonds paid about 1100 bucks. Ah, pretty good. But by the year 2020, the income we got from bonds fell really pretty dramatically. And now, even though your $10,000 turned into close to $17,000 in bonds, not terrible, that $17,000 is really only paying about $370. Bucks. 
at the other end of the spectrum, the $10,000 that was only paying $529 to begin with in, in the S&P 500 was now valued at close to $350,000 with a dividend of almost $5,400 per year. So pretty simply, stock dividend income wins or won over time, has won over time by a, a huge margin. Dividend income increased 10x from when, when this started from 1980 to 2000 through 2020. And the price itself, or price only return for stocks, this is not reinvesting dividends, also grew 35-fold. We could also look at it this way. Over that whole period of time, the bond investment paid you about $31,000 in interest. The stock investment paid you about $82,000 in dividends. But of course, the huge difference is what you end up with at the end of that period of time. Bonds went from $10,000 to $17,000. Stocks went from $10,000 to almost $350,000. And the income paid from stocks grew at about 6% on average per year, which is two times or twice the rate of inflation. To me, that's a big part of the answer on how we protect our purchasing power, whether it's retiring early in our 40s or 50s, or somebody or anybody retiring in their, in their 60s or 70s. To understand these really important pieces of history, I think is really one of the, the keys to being a successful investor over time. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.